know that we partner with uh, some ministries in Kenya. One of them is Spring Valley School, and we prayed uh, for a dormitory that they are building for at-risk girls. Uh, if you don't know, obviously there's a lot of orphan uh, ministry that goes on in Kenya because there are a lot of orphans. And what happens in this particular area and other areas like this are girls who are orphaned have to stay with neighbors because obviously they don't have a way to live or put a roof over their head. And what happens is that sometimes these male neighbors take advantage of these girls and rape them and that kind of stuff is payment for them to stay with them. And so this church school is trying to build a dormitory for these at-risk girls for them to have a place to stay. And our church uh, put it in the mail yesterday, sent a check to build a whole floor on this dormitory. And so praise the Lord for his provision. Uh, and we'll get to see, we'll get to see a little bit of that as we go back in the coming months. We'll go back into April 1st of May. So I'm excited about that. Um, and we want to be sure that we um, praise the Lord for the things that we pray for. As Owen leads us in these prayers over the people in uh, Pakistan, right? Okay, Pakistan that whenever we begin to see work like we saw tonight happen under the movement of the Lord and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we want to praise and proclaim the goodness of our God for being faithful to hear the, the prayers of his people. A couple of things to be aware of. Men, our deacons have made a commitment to disciple the younger men in this church. Ladies, there is coming a day where this will happen for you, but we just have it for men right now. Don't, don't feel embittered because we're more important. All right, so just hold on. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. All right. Uh, for you men, ladies soon, men now, the deacon ministry is developing something called Man to Man. It's a uh, one-on-one discipleship program. And what will happen is that we will partner you with an older man for you to walk through a period of three or four months with possibly longer if you both agree to do that, but at least for three or four months. And what's going to happen is um, after tonight, Dave Mitchell, right over here, Dave, has a clipboard. And we want you to sign up if you're interested, and I can send you the information of that. The first big meeting will be on Saturday, January 28th, in here in the afternoon. And we'll introduce you to your mentor as the mentee. And you'll get to kind of just walk with them in a lot of ways. You're going to ask uh, secular questions if you're in the, in the business field, you know, of some sort. And you want someone who's been in the same field as you will try to partner you up with them. So you can ask questions that um, pertain to that particular area of your life as well. So I'm really excited about this. We've been working on it for a while. And I'm just uh, really um, excited about the opportunity for you guys to experience the fullness that our church has to offer. It's very easy for us to kind of separate ourselves, segregate ourselves um, as a ministry from the overall church. And so I think this will be a way for us to connect with older men in our church and it'll be beneficial to us both. Ladies, we're working on yours. And once we have this established, we'll translate that into a women's version as well. Okay, so it's coming. Uh, secondly, if you want to go to Scotland... We're going to have a meeting next Thursday night directly after Remnant in this back room back there, okay? And uh, we'll be doing some soccer-intensive things, so if you uh, can kick a ball around, pretty good at it, uh, we'd love to have you come, all right? Uh, tonight, we're going to begin a new series. Before we do that, I want us to go in prayer before the Lord uh, to ask His help as we encounter uh, His inspired Word tonight. Father, uh, we just come before you um, humbled by the fact that you are in our midst. 
God, that the God of creation who spoke everything into existence, Father, is about to speak to us through his word tonight. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall on us, that he would help us understand, that he would help us to focus and hear your word, the truth of your word, God, how it applies to our life and how it will shape us into the image of Jesus. And where you are tonight, would you just pray that prayer personally? Holy Spirit, help me understand the word of God spoken tonight. Father, I pray for myself, God, that you would anoint the words that come out of my mouth, God, that they would be inspired, Father, by your Holy Spirit, God, that they would not be um, selfish or birthed out of anger or bitterness, Father, but would be birthed out of love for your church, for your kingdom, for your word. As always, Father, I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Tonight we're going to begin a new series entitled Peter, His Life and His Writings. And I'm really excited about this series because it's the first time I've ever done anything like this. What we're going to do is do a character study of Peter for about five or six weeks, walking through passages that shaped Peter into becoming the apostle that we see in the book of Acts. And then we're going to move into an expositional study, verse by verse, of his epistles, both first and second Peter. And I'm really excited about this because of a number of reasons. And I just want to focus on those for a minute. Why this series? Of all the possible books of the Bible, of all the characters that we could study, why do I feel the Holy Spirit leading us to study the person of Peter and his writings uh, tonight over the next couple of months? Well, I feel like our generation and Peter have a lot in common, both positive and negative. You see, Peter is known for being a very passionate guy. He's a guy that cut off a dude's ear whenever he tried to come and arrest Jesus. And Jesus had to pick up the ear and put it back on. It was like, Peter, what are you doing, dude? Which had to be one of the coolest moments in all of scripture, an ear falling to the ground and Jesus just picking it up and sticking it back on the dude's head, right? One of the craziest moments in all of okay, so scripture, incredible guy. So Peter's a passionate individual that sometimes thinks before or acts before he thinks. Sound familiar to any of you tonight? We are a passionate people, aren't we? Our generation is very passionate. I think about um, the game to end all games coming this Monday night. Uh, I've got a lot of friends who paid a lot of money to go to see LSU whoop up on Alabama, okay? And they're going to be passionate about this game. These are the same guys who paint up in 20 degree weather, no shirt on, just paint in some sort of weird wig. Passionate, passionate people about football. You may not be passionate about football. Perhaps you're passionate about some sort of literature, whether it be um, something that is credible like Harry Potter or something not like Twilight. Uh, Some of you are very passionate about those things. And upcoming is this whole Hunger Games thing, which I'm not even sure I'm into yet, but that's apparently a big deal that's about to come on the scene as well. We get really passionate about this point where we'll go six, seven hours before the movie begins and stand in line just to see a movie. We are very, very, very passionate 
people. And I think Peter would be in that line if he wasn't in love with Jesus. I think he would be in that line. Not as if you're not in love with Jesus if you go to that line, but hear me. Okay? I think he would be on the front row of a football game painted up because he's just that kind of passionate guy. My concern, though, is in the beginning of Peter's life, less so in the later parts of his life because of some restoration that Jesus spoke over his life, Peter had passion without conviction. And I think the downfall of our generation, if we're not careful, is going to be a very passionate people who do not have conviction about the things that they are passionate about. What do I mean by that? Well, I wonder for many of us, if the passion that we have for Christianity is a function of a lack of something else to be passionate about, or whether it is truly birthed within us by a regenerate heart from the Holy Spirit. All of us want to be passionate about something. Some of us don't like football. Some of us don't like books. And so the church is an easy place for us to come and find something to be passionate about. Because it's got good music. It's entertaining in some ways. There are somewhat cool people. Possible person I can marry. Fingers crossed. And so it's just a place for us to substitute a desire to have something passionate about, but it's not really birthed from a regenerate heart. It's not a passion that comes from the Holy Spirit of God living in such a way within us that we cannot see ourselves being passionate about anything else except the kingdom of God. Which leads me to this underlying question that will drive the whole series of studying Peter's life. Why Do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? This is something that the disciples themselves had to come and find an answer to at some point in their life. Why did Peter follow Jesus? Well, of course he was called, as you and I are called, But I think throughout the course of Peter's life, something greater happened in his life. An experience with Jesus that affirmed in him that giving his life to anything else, anything else would be a waste. Because of the power and the work that Christ exemplified in his time here. Peter was an ordinary fisherman called to be a part of something extraordinary. An ordinary fisherman, just a normal guy, nothing special about his life, just threw nets over the side of a boat, picked up the fish when they were there, went home at night. And then all of a sudden, one day, they pull in their nets and Jesus says, Hey, I know you've been fishing for fish. But come follow me and I will teach you to become fishers of men. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 16. Here's what the word of God says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, Simon Peter, that's Peter's first name, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, 
and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue, Jesus, and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man of an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Now imagine for a moment what these disciples are thinking. At one moment, they were simply fishermen. And then all of a sudden, because of their association with Jesus, they were famous. They were famous. They walked through a town. Oh, hey, did you hear that? Jesus guy, here he comes right now. Jesus is the one who told the unclean spirit to come out. He's got these really cool new teaching things. It's some sort of weird authority. Hey, it's Peter. He's one of his disciples. They were like his posse. If Jesus were a rap star at the Grammys, when he came up to receive his award, Peter would have been on stage with him. Jesus would have said, I want to thank myself for my talent, for the ability to write inspired words that impact people. They were his posse. They were famous as a result of being attached to Jesus. And look where this leads the disciples. Turn with me a little bit further over to Mark chapter 9. Beginning in verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they, the disciples, had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, Jesus, and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Here's the lesson that I think we can learn from these scriptures in conjunction with one another. While certainly their initial obedience, the initial obedience of the disciples, is to be applauded. At some point, the disciples, including Peter, began to value Jesus for the wrong reasons. They began to follow Jesus for the wrong reasons. Not for what Jesus was doing to the world, but what they could gain from following Jesus. Jesus, I was just a fisherman. Then all of a sudden I'm a rock star. And then that's not good enough. I want to be the greatest of the disciples. I want something that every other person in the world wants. I just want Jesus to give it to me. I want to be a rock star, but listen, I really don't have enough talent 
to actually go out and make a record. So I'm just going to go do it in the church. It's an easier place to do it and find success because they'll love me even if I can't sing because it's just making a joyful noise to the Lord. I want the same thing the world wants. I just want Jesus to give it to me. See, Jesus had given them something that they had never had before. They were fishermen. They were normal people. They were actually below normal in some ways. They were simple. But all of a sudden, they had this power, this social power, not the, the good kind of power that comes from the Spirit that we'll see later on. They had a social power that made them feel good about themselves. To this point, the disciples hadn't gotten that the point of following Jesus was not making much of them. The point of following Jesus is making much of him. So, I ask you again, why are you following Jesus? Are you a broken, repentant individual who could not imagine your life without him? You recognize the separation in your life from God Almighty who created you and loves you and has a purpose and a plan for you. And your rebellion and sin has separated you from him. Does that break your heart and you know that the only hope you have is in Christ and that's why you are giving your life to him? Are you filled with inexplicable joy because of the grace that God has shown you? How you serve him will tell you a lot about why you follow him. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Do you have passion without conviction? We're going back to this question I asked earlier. As I said, we are a passionate generation. Even as Christians, we are a very passionate generation. Or in the church, we are a passionate generation. Listen to all the, the things that we love to do. Worship, right? We are known among our generation for being a people who love to worship through singing. That's why you have these incredible worship movements, things like Hillsong and Hillsong United and, and Bethel and Passion and Jesus Culture. But why are we passionate again? Are we passionate about that music because it sounds good? Are we passionate about that music because it's our version of an innocent rock concert? I want to go hear the Beastie Boys, but my friends might judge me. And so instead, I'll come to Remnant because that band is pretty good. Do we love worship? Are we passionate about worship? Because we have a joy in our heart that cannot be contained, that was placed there by the Holy Spirit of God within us. Are you passionate about playing bass, for instance? No offense, Jake. Because you love to lead people to the throne of God or because you couldn't find success in the record industry and so you just decided that the church was the next best place to go get hired and play bass? We're passionate about social justice, aren't we? You hear that a lot among our generation. We want to help the oppressed. We want to help the poor. 
27 million slaves in the world today. 27 million. That's the largest number in the history of mankind. Largest number ever. Houston, most of you know this, one of the largest areas in America for human trafficking. Huge homeless populations. Orphans too numerous to count around the world. And this stuff stirs our heart, doesn't it? We're passionate about trying to overcome this injustice, but why? Is it because we simply have human empathy for them? We just don't want to see anyone who is like us suffer that way. Or is it because we know that Jesus Christ came to set the prisoners free? He came to undo oppression because it's a faction of depravity. And part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is overcoming that which has fallen because of sin. What is your motivation for following Jesus? Is it because the kingdom of God demands this type of action from us. You see, most of us will worship. Most of us will exhibit passion until it costs us something. And that's where passion without conviction becomes a problem. If you and I are just passionate, it doesn't matter because we'll be passionate in this room. But when it counts in the real world, when the rubber meets the road and we're called to sacrifice something as Christ himself sacrificed something, we'll run and turn the other way because our passion is not met with conviction because that passion is not birthed from a saving experience with Jesus Christ. What is your true conviction of faith? Because the study of Peter, you're going to see, is a study in saving faith. What kind of faith do you have? We have to have. God has called us and birthed within us, if it is true, a completely satisfying faith. Christianity, again, is not another way for you to get what you've always wanted. It's finding something you didn't even know you wanted and that you now can't live without. It's a faith found in something that we have never even considered before. Listen, I was listening to Louis Giglio speak the other night at the Passion Conference, and here's what he said. Before you were in Christ, you weren't just unchurched. You were dead. You've got to get that. Christianity is not just another way to meet a, a need that you already had, because you didn't even know you had this need until the Holy Spirit of God spoke into your life, revealed the fact that you are a sinner separated from God, and Jesus is the only way, the only way for us to have joy and fulfillment and connection and restoration with Almighty God. Before Christ, we could never say that God satisfies me alone. Because we didn't know who he was. There is nothing else that can satisfy me. But now, his word teaches and satisfies me. His spirit comforts and satisfies me. His church redeems the world and satisfies me. His people love and satisfy me. His gospel saves and satisfies me. His creation reveals his goodness and creativity and satisfies me. His way leads to life and satisfies me. Nothing, nothing, nothing else can satisfy me. And that's why I follow Jesus Christ. And that's why I desire to make much of him, not much of me. I can't satisfy you. A number of ex-girlfriends will tell you that. I can't. 
But Christ alone can satisfy. And that's why we proclaim. That's why we follow. And it's a powerful faith. This faith that we're going to see in the life of Peter. Not to give us power. But to build the kingdom of God. There is power in following Christ. It's a saving power that is meant to exalt Christ alone. Listen, when we start walking through some of this stuff, and you'll see the the miracles that Peter performed as a disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ, they were not meant to make the disciples more famous and popular than Justin Bieber. That's not the reason why these miracles were given to them. They were given to preach the coming of the Messiah. And to show the authority that Christ had given them both over the spiritual and physical realms. The ability to heal. The ability to teach. The ability to serve in any capacity. Is given not to make much of you. But to build the kingdom of God. Be careful. When you find something you're good at in the church. Be careful. Because if you're not walking with the Lord, very easily you can turn to that gifting and find your identity in that gifting. How people acclaim you for that gifting as a way to build yourself up instead of using it to build up the kingdom of God. I'll give you some diagnostic questions tonight to consider, some things to help you understand in your own spirit why it is that you are following Jesus Christ. Is the gospel your chief concern in life? The good news of Jesus Christ. The lordship that he has over your life. The saving joy that he has placed in your life. Is that your chief concern? Every morning, do you get up And think about how can I live out the gospel today? How can I share the gospel today? Some of you are saying, Jerry, you're just too extreme. I can't do that. I've got too many other things in my life. I've got a job. I've got a car. I've got payments i got to make. I've got a girlfriend, boyfriend. I'm about to get married. All these things take up time in my life. You're too extreme. I just don't think I am. I don't think the Bible teaches that is too extreme. I think we've lowered the bar too far in our Christian faith. I think it's how it's supposed to be. I think the gospel dwelling upon the person and work of Jesus Christ is supposed to be what we do all the time. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Some of you are saying, I can't pray for two minutes in the morning without getting bored. Without ceasing? Yes, we are to dwell upon the goodness of God. We are to sing of his love forever. And if we get bored... It's a function of our inability to focus upon the infiniteness that is God. He doesn't run out of things to show us. We're just too distracted by other things to look. Is the gospel a chief concern of your life? Every moment of every day. We've got to work toward that. If not. Is your faith in Christ motivating you to serve others or demanding others to serve you? 
Let me give you some examples of what I mean here. I can't serve here because they don't meet my needs. I can't go to this church because they don't meet my needs. I can't go to this church or I can't find a place to serve here because I don't like the worship style. You see how that kind of doesn't go together? I can't serve here because they don't serve me the way I want them to serve me. I can't serve here because this music doesn't serve my needs. So God obviously doesn't want me here, so I'll go somewhere else. What a shallow view of the Spirit of God calling you to be a part of the body of believers. I can't serve here because there's not enough single men or women to marry. Not the case in our ministry, because we've married like 15 couples. All right? Believe you me, we marry people in this ministry. Amen, Ronnie and Mandy. (laughs) Okay, y'all can stay silent back there, sorry. Thank you. I can't serve this church if it's too big or it's too small. And we we step into these, these places of service, these places where God is building his kingdom, and we choose not based on the calling of God, but on how they can meet our needs. And some of that's our fault. We've accommodated that as a church. And I'm not saying you shouldn't consider those things. What I am saying is that they should not trump the Holy Spirit of God speaking into your life to be a part of a ministry. Ask these questions. Where am I planted to serve? Where am I needed to serve? God's given me these giftings and abilities. I see an incredible way to meet that gift and that need here. So I'm going to give it all I have. It's not about me. It's about building the kingdom of God and the people of God. Is your hope in Christ a humbling hope? A humbling hope? And here's what I mean by that. Do you feel entitled are overwhelmingly grateful for God's gracious calling upon your life. You see, our generation is a very spoiled generation. And we've almost grown accustomed to giving us to people giving us things that we don't deserve. I remember when I graduated from high school, I got the car I wanted forever. It was a black Nissan Pathfinder, and it was sweet. I thought I deserved it as an only child who always got what he wanted. And so while I was obviously overwhelmingly thankful to my parents on the inside, I thought I earned this thing. And all of us might not have something that big, but we all in here pretty much, maybe some exceptions, have been given tons of things that we don't deserve. So you and I do not consider the grace of God something that we don't deserve in our hearts. So we don't understand what that's like to be giving something so valuable that we did not deserve. And so for many of us in here, there's not a heart of gratitude truly and honestly because we don't understand what the cross means to us. We feel entitled to it. Well, of course God gave it to me. I'm his prized creation. He wants me to worship. He needs me to worship him. So he's going to give it to me, of course.
That can't be a motivating factor for why we follow Christ. We have to have a heart of humility and brokenness and repentance before God. Because we did not deserve this. What we deserved was wrath. We deserved destruction. And in spite of that, God gives us grace. Fundamentally, I'm just concerned about our level of comfort in Christianity and lack of action. And this is true in my own life as much as anyone else's, so I'm talking to me as much as anyone else here, okay? I was watching the simulcast of Passion over the past couple of days, and of course they were talking about human trafficking and slavery, and they gave the statistic about 27 million slaves in the world, the most in the history of the world, as I said earlier. And they were asking questions like, how can that happen on our watch. I was moved. Christine Kane, who's actually at Hillsong in Australia, has this organization called A21, and they work all over the world trying to end human trafficking and slavery. And she was talking about this lady who had been taken to Greece on their way to Istanbul to be um, sold into sex slavery. And they were taken in like one of those metal crates that you see on ships, There were 60 women all put in the same crate. That's how they were shipped from the place they started to there. And they had an an oxygen tank in there for a while to put through oxygen, but that tank broke while they were traveling. And 30 of the 60 women suffocated. And then when they got to the port in Greece, some customs people came on board, and so they wouldn't get caught. They threw all the women overboard into the bay. And none of these women had ever swam in their life. And of the 60 women who started, only five survived. And then they took them into the the sex slave industry and did some really terrible things to her. And then they were finally released on a raid. And this woman is taken to the shelter. And she doesn't know whether or not Christine and the people helping there are people who are going to take them into more sex trafficking or they're there to help them. And so she asked Christine Kane, why are you here? And so Christine Kane began to tell her about Jesus and how Jesus wanted to set her free and heal her and restore her and redeem her. And this woman looked back at Christine and said, if these words are true, then why didn't you come sooner? And Christine said, that's the thing that motivates me every morning when I get up. Why didn't you come sooner? And I was moved, physically moved to tears when I heard that story when she was speaking. Because it's a powerful story. And I began to think about all the stories I've heard about just like that over my time on the earth. And how I become very passionate about those stories for a period of time, and then two or three days wear off, and I'm back to normal. That's what I mean when I say passion without conviction. This stuff affects us for a little while, but we don't change our lives to do anything about it. Christ has come to set the prisoners free. But will you adjust your life to go break the chains? When it costs you something, will you still go? That's the difference between passion and conviction. Some of this we need to adjust our expectations in life. What it means to be successful, what it means to be an American, even a Christian. 
There's so much more that God is calling us to. So my hope is that as we study Peter, his life and his writings, that we would become a passionate people of conviction who stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Passion with conviction. And as the band comes back up, I want you to think about those questions in your life. Is the gospel paramount? Is it what drives your life? Does it humble you? Or do you feel entitled? Is it driving you to act? Even when it's hard, even when it costs you something. You'll see Peter struggle in this as we walk through his life. But you'll also see the power and the impact he makes when he sells out to the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're going to have an extended period of worship tonight as to end out. And I just want us to really contemplate what God is calling us to. And I want you to pray that the Lord would speak to you over the coming weeks as we study the life of Peter and his writings, epistles. And that he would do a new work in your heart. Something new. I'm praying that he will speak something new through me. And, and show me some parts of Christianity that I've just been missing out on that I haven't been faithful to follow through on or teach. I want us to come together in unity and pray that the Lord would do a new work among us that would radically transform this group, that would call us to radically transform Northwest Houston and ultimately the world. I know that sounds like just something that, that pastors say, but... When you look at the life of Peter, man, a lot of people, a lot of people were changed because of his faithfulness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ with conviction, even when it could cost him his life. And ultimately it did. So where you are, just bow your heads spend some time with the Lord just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you just ask the Holy Spirit show me what I need to take away from this message open my eyes to blind spots in my own life that prohibit me from becoming everything that Jesus wants me to be for some of you tonight you're realizing for the first time that church was just another way for you to meet people a moral bar and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and you're saying Jesus I have never truly given you my life for the right reasons I have never felt that transforming work of the Holy Spirit in my life and he's speaking over me I gotta have it all that's you tonight I'm up here love to talk with you Dave's up here he'll talk to you Grab a friend. Come pray. We'll answer any questions you have. The rest of us, does your passion 
pastor that you're about to stand and proclaim these God-ordained words, is that passion present in your life when you leave this building? Is there conviction behind the words that you say? Spirit to begin affirming and building you up and the confidence that he can give you and his glorious grace to us. Father, speak through your Holy Spirit to us. We pray.